My name is Chris Hodge. If I have not uh, met you yet, I am one of the pastors here, and I would love the opportunity uh, to get to know you as well. Every week during this time of the service, we open God's Word and we study it together, and it's an exciting thing to do. This morning, we are in John uh, chapter 15. We're picking up in the middle of the chapter. Now, just to re- remind you where we were just a week ago, let me read the last verse Uh, that we looked at last week. It was verse 17. Jesus says, These things I command you so that you will love one another. I want us to notice as we move into our text, beginning in verse 18, the stark turn uh, that Jesus' instructions to His disciples takes from I command you to love one another to our text today. Let's listen now as we read God's Word from John 16, verse 18, through, the end, through uh, chapter 16, verse 4. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with Me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor Me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Thus ends the reading of our text. When we study God's Word, we recognize our need for His help. And we do that in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You and we thank You that in Your grace, kindness, and mercy that You have given us Your Word. Lord, even in this part of Your Word, we read that Jesus came and brought Your Word, and yet the world rejected it. I pray, O Lord, through the power of Your Spirit, that we will receive Your Word as it is given this morning. That Your Spirit will help us to hear it, believe it, apply it, to be changed by it. And I pray that Your Spirit will help me, that I will speak Your Word in a way that exalts Jesus Christ, that helps Your people, 
and enables us to know and love You better. Lord, even as I pray for us and our enjoyment of this feast in Your Word, I pray for our brothers and sisters around the world for whom persecution is more than a theory, it is a daily reality. Lord, as they fear being tortured, imprisoned, or even executed, as Your text says, by people who believe they are doing a service to God in doing so. Lord, we know and we are thankful that in this city, in this state, in this country in which we live, we enjoy a multitude of freedoms to worship and enjoy You. Oh Lord, we remember our brothers and sisters who have no such freedom. And we pray that You will help them to persevere, to endure, and to multiply. That Your glory may spread even through the vicious attempts of our enemy to squelch the sound of the good news of Jesus Christ. Help us now that we will be steeled for the purpose of following You in a world that hates us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. A few years back, uh, the somewhat profane comedian Chris Rock decided to produce a TV show. And while I am not going to recommend the TV show, it's really classic sitcom sort of tropes, I did love the name and the theme song because it felt personal. The theme song went like this. It was very simple. Everybody hates Chris. And somehow, I know I did not sing that on pitch or probably the way that the writers intended, but I could relate to that theme song. Everybody hates Chris. My wife can tell you that as soon as I heard that theme song, it became my theme song anytime things were not going particularly well. So someone didn't do what I wanted. I didn't get the thing that I, that I was looking for. I would say, everybody hates Chris. And she would shake her head and roll her eyes, which is what every good wife should do. I know that we all have that experience that everyone is against us, that no one likes us. But that's different than what Jesus is talking about here to His disciples here in John 15. Remember that Jesus has been talking about how His followers here, the disciples with Him in the upper room, as He is trying to teach them and love them to the fullest extent and prepare them for life without Him as He knows that later that night He is going to be betrayed go through a mock of a trial that he will be tortured and executed the next day. He knows this. And so he's teaching them up. He's loving them up. And he wants them to know that being united with him carries great and glorious privileges. We looked at that last week. As we looked at the truth that if we as believers cling to Jesus like a branch clings to the vine, that His 
power, His Spirit will work in and through us and cause us to bear much fruit. We looked at it last week. Fruit of a character that reflects God's character. Answered prayer. Uh, the glory of God. Authentication as disciples of Jesus. We will experience the love of Christ in a more meaningful way as well as knowing His joy and the wonder of mutual love as Christians. But Jesus says, being united with me means you get the whole package. You not only get the blessings that flow from me and through me, but you get the consequences of being named as one of my followers. And here he says it simply, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Here this conditional clause, if the world hates you, is not saying it's possible that they won't. It really could be translated when the world hates you. Remember that they hated me first. And so I want us to look at this. How do we deal with this? How do we process this? Because the truth is, while we might laugh about everyone hating Chris, we don't want everyone to hate Chris or Joe or Susie or Sally or whoever you are. We don't want that. And yet Jesus says it's the reality in our life. How do we handle this text? Well, let's look at it under three headings. Uh, first of all, I want us to see that the world does not want Jesus, and that's why it hates him. Secondly, I want us to see that followers of Jesus, that is those of us in this room who have believed in Jesus, do not belong to the world. And thirdly, I want us to see that the world, as Jesus talks about them here, is both irreligious and religious. It's both irreligious and religious. And so let's look at that first of all. Why is it that the world does not want Jesus? Why does Jesus say, the world hated me first? Well, he shows us in this text, doesn't he? He says that when he came, he brought the word of God. He says that he does the works of God in verse 24. In other words, he comes and in his earthly ministry, he shows the world in which he lived the character, the true nature of God. So much so that Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And yet, the world wanted nothing to do with Jesus. It wants to be pleasing to God, to be in relationship with God on its own terms. The world wants to determine what's right and what's wrong. The world wants to decide for themselves who God is and how to be in relationship with them. And when Jesus comes and says, no, no, this is who God is. This is how you're in relationship with Him. He is perfectly holy. He is perfectly just. He is perfectly good. He is perfectly loving. He is perfectly merciful. But you can only experience the benefit of those things through me. The Son who God has sent to show you the way to be right with God. The world says, thank you, but no thank you. No, I'll continue trying to do my best. I'll continue trying to work my hardest. I'll continue trying to show that I have within me the merit that allows me to feel good about my relationship with God. Years ago, I remember hearing a quote from a popular singer who was talking about his own relationship with Christianity. And he said, it offends me 
quote the media mogul who said Christianity is for losers. Why? Why does the world think this? Because they say, I can do it myself. I don't need help. I don't need your mercy. I don't need your grace. And so they hear about the ministry of Jesus and they say, no, thank you. And they despise him. Of course, Jesus is keenly aware of the height of their animosity because within 24 hours, he will be tortured and be killed because the world doesn't want what he has brought. Now, I know that we can read this text and we can get a little confused because of the statements Jesus makes about the world not being guilty of sin. Uh, verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. The word there that's translated excuse for their sin could be translated, they have no pretext. In other words, by coming, by actually being the conduit of God's presence in the world, in the enfleshed, incarnate Son of God, Jesus is knocking out from underneath those who claim to love God any excuse or any pretext they have because they rejected Him. He's saying if they loved God, they would have loved me. If they wanted to have a relationship with God, they would have embraced me. And that's what He's saying. In other words, my coming has shown the true nature of their sin like it wasn't shown before. That helps us. Now what does this have to do with us? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're with Jesus. Remember, we've been talking about it. I mentioned it earlier. We are united with Him through faith so that what is true of us, that is our sin and the judgment we deserve from God, is placed upon Jesus upon the cross. And what is true of Jesus, that is His perfect obedience to the law of God, both uh, passive and active, his uh, perfect life, all of His perfect actions are applied to us. They're credited to our account. But what that means is that we're identified with Jesus. And so the world says, if I didn't like Jesus, then I want nothing to do with you. I love it. Uh, D.A. Carson says it this way, the world is a society of rebels and therefore finds it hard to tolerate those who are in joyful allegiance to the King to whom all loyalty is due. You see, when you come along or, or I come along into this world, this world that says I can do it myself, I can earn it myself, I can accomplish it myself, and, I say, and you say or I say, I can't do it. At my very best, my greatest works and accomplishments are like filthy rags, to quote the Apostle Paul. Yet I have nothing meritous to offer to God. And I am only in relationship with Him because of His gracious mercy that He's shown me in Jesus Christ. And because He's shown me that mercy, I'm going to live my whole life for Him. I'm going to do whatever He says. I'm going to obey His Word. I'm willing to live and I'm willing to die for Him. Then the world says, you offend me because your loyalty is to a, a system that not only I have rejected, but to a system that, if you are right, leaves me in a very unfortunate predicament. Because if the only way for a human being to re be right with God is 
is to accept the mercy and grace offered through the person of Jesus Christ, and I reject Him, then that means one day I'm going to have to face the displeasure of God. You see, our allegiance to Jesus, our dependence upon Jesus, our identity with Jesus, smells like condemnation to the world. And the world doesn't like that. You know, when I was growing up, I was a Baptist kid. And as a Baptist kid, uh, I did not drink alcohol. Now, to be honest, if you're under 21 and you're a Presbyterian kid, you still should not drink alcohol. Uh, Just to be clear, you know, it's against the law. We can talk about that more later. But as a youth growing up, I know we have wine here later. Talk to your parents about that. But when I was growing up, I mean, this was emphasized a lot. I, I really never understood how every New Testament and every Old Testament passage had to do with not drinking alcohol. But it did. It didn't. I didn't drink alcohol. But I was rather social. And so I was in a lot of places where alcohol was being consumed by underage people in Spartanburg. Now, I can tell you that there was a weird thing that would happen when I would be there drinking a Coca-Cola, the official drink of the South, and they were drinking whatever cheap stuff they got uh, at the party, that inevitably it made people very uncomfortable that I wasn't having a drink with them. Why was that? I I didn't have to say anything, even though I was obnoxious and I probably did say something. I didn't have to say anything. I just had to be there. I just had to be someone doing something different than they were doing, and it made them just a little self-conscious. Do you know that that happens in almost any realm? If you're the outlier, if you're the person doing something slightly different, if you're not the one being catty, if you're not the one backbiting, if you're not the one that's insulting uh, the other girls at the table like everyone else, it will start to make people feel uncomfortable. You see, we become keenly aware when someone is in our social grouping that is reminding us of our guilt, our liability, the fact that maybe we're doing something we shouldn't be doing. Jesus says, when you're identified with me, it is that writ large. It is that writ large. But why is that? Secondly, I want us to see that we are not of the world. Notice Jesus says that in the second verse, in verse 19 of our text, if you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now, I know everyone likes to belong. Everyone likes to fit in. For goodness sake, I am a, I'm a church planter. I, you, you never stop becoming a church planter. And part of the strategy of being a church planter is in going to a place that doesn't have a lot of gospel witness and getting to know people and making friendly relationships and uh, being liked by people so that you have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus in a way that helps people see their need for Him. And so one of the great goals of a church planner is to gain favor with the people in the community where they go. But here Jesus says the problem is that's going to be an uphill battle because you don't belong to the world the same way everyone else does. You don't belong to the world. Now, I want us to be straight up about this. 
we all were born as part of the world. This whole you're not part of the world is not something that we innately have or that we have because we dress nicer or because we didn't drink or because of whatever rule we followed. We are not part of the world because we have been plucked out of it. We've been plucked out. Don't you love that language that Jesus uses? It's not the first time this evening that he has used this language, but I chose you out of the world. What Jesus is saying is, hey, 11 disciples that are still with me in this room, when I found you, you were all part of the world. You were all part of the world that, that hated God. You were all part of the world who may have given lip service to your loyalty to God, but had no true heart dedication. You were part of the world that uh, Hermann Ritterbach has opened for salvation. This is hatred. It is the human no to the divine yes expressed in the mission of His Son. Before the intervention of Jesus, He is saying to His disciples, you were part of that no world. Yes, I need grace, but no, I don't want it. But I've plucked you out. I've chosen you. Do you know what that is? That's grace. Jesus says, I saw you. I put my favor upon you. I picked you so that you would no longer go along with the mooing herd of this world, but that you would become a part of a different community. We find out later in the New Testament, a different family that you would be a part of a new race, a new society, and it's called the followers of Jesus Christ. But why are you not in the world? Because of the grace of God. This is so important. Because when we start thinking, judging that followers of Jesus are not part of the world, I think there can be a little judgy going on. Have you ever sensed that? You know, the world is kind of going one way, and, and you'll kind of hear Christians you know, speaking as though they have, you know, gained an inch or two in height, shoulders back, eyes peering straight down the nose. Well, that's the world. You know, as though the subtext of that, as though I would have anything to do with that. Well, baby, let me tell you, you were part of the world. And if it weren't for the mercy and grace of Jesus, you'd still be a part of the world. And you know what that means? That means that when we feel this animosity with the world and realize that we, because of our relationship with Jesus, are not part of the world, it should not lead to judgment, but it should lead to praise. And when I think about the world and the direction it's going, I should say, thank you, Jesus, for choosing me out of the world. Is that our reaction? Or is our reaction to return hate for hate? They hate the world just as much as it hates us. You see, the understanding of the gospel that Jesus picked us out of the world by grace keeps us from having that prideful hate of the world. Instead, it allows us to understand what Jesus wants us to do in the world. Do we see it in this text? Yes, absolutely. What are we chosen to do in verse 26 and verse 27? It, he tells us that we're chosen out of the world, not to hate the world, but to bear witness to the world. What does that mean? That means that we are chosen out of the world to stand in the way of that world that hates us and keep pointing to Jesus. To say, He is your only hope. He is the only way. He is 
God who's come in the flesh. He is the one who has the words of life. He is the bread of life. He is the bread of heaven. He is the water that will quench your spiritual thirst. He is the light of the world. And we keep pointing and we bear witness. Notice how Jesus says it in verse 26 and 27, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with Me from the beginning. Now, I love these two things going together. That He says in the second part of that little passage, He says, you're going to bear witness. Now, we know they did. Do you know how? we're reading part of that witness. That witness that those 11 gave to the world about who Jesus was and what He had done, it's written down in the Gospels and in the New Testament. And we see that it was empowered by the Holy Spirit so that what we have here is accurate and true and reliable and something that we can put our life on. Because not only did these men bear witness, but the Holy Spirit bore witness through them. And here is the immediate application of what Jesus says. But do you know that when we take this Word and we teach it to others, or we explain it to others, or we... Uh, boil it down to the essentials of the gospel for others that we, just like them, are still dependent upon that same helper, that same Holy Spirit to communicate who Jesus is to this world. So, yes, it is like we are standing there in the broad way of the world and we are pointing to Jesus, but we are doing it through the power of the Spirit. And aren't you glad? Because if it was just me, you know, there's Jesus, there's Jesus. I'd have no hope that anyone would ever respond in faith. But when I know through me, and as I pray toward that end, I know that this witness will be effective for the purpose that God has ordained. Oh man, how many times as a Christian has my witness been perfunctory rather than spirit-enabled? And it's no surprise that it goes nowhere. Why? Why would people who are hated bear witness through the power of the Spirit to the world? Because again, we are united with Jesus. I think almost every Christian, one of the first verses they ever memorize is John 3.16. Now before I get to John 3.16, I want to read just a few verses past that in chapter 3, verse 19. Uh, and it, there it says, this is judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. See, here in this famous and well-loved text, we see the reality that in this world, the world will prefer darkness over light every day of the week. They will. But how does God respond to that reality? Well, let's back up and read verse 16. For God so loved the world, that world that loves darkness, that world that hates Jesus, that world that will hate us, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Does that grace not make you wonder? Does that grace not catch you up every now and then? That the world says, I hate Jesus. 
And Jesus says, I love the world, and so I sent Jesus. That is so helpful for us. Because our instinct, because we still have sin in us, is to say if the world hates us, we're going to give as good as we get. And instead, Jesus says, no, I'm sending you into the world to bear witness to me through the power of the Spirit. Why? Because God loves the world and wants to see the world saved through faith in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul uh, says it this way very personally in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. He says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Do you think that Paul was thankful God loved the world and sent Jesus to save it? He says, yeah, absolutely. Because he sent him to save me, the worst of the bunch. You see, this helps us. One, we're not going to be surprised that the world hates us because it hated Jesus. But that's not going to throw us. We're still going to bear witness through the power of the Spirit. Lastly, we need to understand this. That the world is both the world, this world that will persecute us, this world that will hate us, is both religious and irreligious. Now, of course, it is irreligious. I, I looked it up on Open Doors USA, a great source to find out information about the persecuted Christians live in an area that is considered high persecution, 360 million. Do you know that's how many people live in the United States? That's how many believers there are out there who are at risk of persecution every single day of their life. Last year, 6,175 Christians were imprisoned primarily because of their witness of Jesus Christ. 3,829 were kidnapped because they followed Jesus. 5,900 were killed because they loved Jesus and the world hated them. The Three most dangerous places for a follower of Jesus to live are Afghanistan, North Korea, and Somalia. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Number one and three, Afghanistan and Somalia, Christians are being persecuted not by godless pagans, but by people who claim to love God, to follow Him, to worship Him. And we see it here in this text. Notice when Jesus talks about the world, He talks about people that He spoke to, people that He did. They were the people who claimed to be followers of God. The covenant community. Notice later when He says in verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 1, what's going to happen? What's the world going to do to you? It says, uh, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. What is Jesus warning these 11 people about? It is the people who claim to be followers of God who will hate you the most. Now, in this context, and we need to be very careful, Jesus is talking to these disciples who live as Jewish men in a Jewish nation, you know, in this context. And so those that persecuted them were Jewish leaders, but we need to be very careful. It is certainly not only the Jews of the first century who are religious people who persecute the true followers of Jesus. As I've said already, those that uh, follow uh, Allah, who claim to worship God, are number one and number three in the world at persecuting Christians. But do you know, 
at least in our world, who the greatest persecutor of true followers of Jesus are, it's people who are part of the church of Jesus Christ. Have you noticed that most of the persecution that's going to happen to anybody sitting in this room is more likely to be from someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus than from someone who's irreligious or a pagan out there in the world. I know we talk about those irreligious and pagans a lot, but to be honest, they would prefer if we just disappear. They usually don't want to have anything to do with us. But oh, you get somebody up on their white horse with their shining armor and their lance, and they will skewer as many Christians as they possibly can in the name of Jesus. Why do I bring that up? Well, one, not here to be the persecutors and haters of people who claim to follow Jesus. We are to be here as Spirit-enabled pointers to the glory, beauty, grace, and love of Jesus. But also, I don't want us to be surprised because there are people who call themselves Christians who don't want any more to do with grace than the man in the moon. They still think they're accomplishing it by by their moral effort, by their purity, by their knowledge, by how, how much they've done or the places they've gone. And do you see that it's still the same problem? People who ultimately don't want to need the grace of Jesus and they will always hate people who are recipients and lovers of the grace that's offered in Jesus Christ. And that will always be the case. And I know, I'm sitting here, I'm probably stepping on toes right now. You're sitting there thinking about that last blog that you put up. You're thinking about that last flaming post. Good. Think about it. And ask, how did that point to the saving dependence on Jesus Christ? And how did that make you part of the world? Light on a hill. If we are going to be salt here to this community where Jesus has sent us, then we need to be people who accept the reality that the world is going to hate us, but we will not be haters in this world. We will be people who, as the last verse of last week's text said, that we are known because we love one another. So do you need to correct somebody? Sometimes, yes, you do. But how do you do it? You do it in love, patience, and grace. You know the whole purpose of church discipline, according to Matthew 18, is that we might win the person who is not living or believing in an appropriate way. The whole point is to reclaim them, that they might enjoy, again, the full fellowship with other Christians because of their trust in Jesus Christ. It is not to punish them. It is not to hurt them. It is not to get back at them. Man, if the church could learn to stop being the world when it comes to hating Christians, wouldn't being a Christian and this world be better. Absolutely. You see, we need to hear this. Jesus wants us to hear this. But of course, the irreligious world hates us as well. They don't want any of this salvation by grace. They don't want to have to depend on another to be right with God. But that's okay. Because we didn't get it either. And until they are chosen by grace out of this world, then they won't believe anything different. And so we keep pointing to Jesus with the power of the Spirit. And we say, help us. Help us see the nations discipled. Help us teach them all that Jesus has commanded. 
enable us to be able to apply the sign of the covenant community baptism on people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, even those that would throw us in prison or torture us because of our following of Jesus. Why? Because they have seen the beauty of Jesus through our witness, the witness of the Spirit, not only in our words, but as we share with them this word. May God give us that grace. As we come to this table this morning, we are coming to a table in which we are not only participating in the work of Jesus Christ, but we are participating with every believer around the world and throughout time that says our only hope is Jesus. Is Jesus. Is His life, His death, His resurrection. And so we come united with our persecuted brothers and sisters from around the world and we say, like you, our only hope is Jesus. We come and we proclaim that the death of Jesus is our only hope until He comes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You. We thank You for how good You are to us. Lord, please forgive us for when we return hate for hate. Lord, You warned us so that we wouldn't be surprised, so we wouldn't be shocked, so we wouldn't have a knee-jerk reaction. Lord, I pray that when we receive hate from this world, that we will remember that it just shows that we are your servants because you suffered, because you were hated, we will be as well. And that we, like the early apostles, will count it a great bit. It will encourage us to lean more fully upon the Holy Spirit in our life, that we might continue to point to Jesus even when the world is pointing its accusatory fingers at us, that we will point to Jesus and we say, He's my only hope and He's yours. No matter what you say or do to me, the world may hate us, but you love the world and sent your world, sent your Son to the world that those who believe in Him might be saved. May we continue to proclaim that glorious Although simple truth, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.